On today's episode of GIST Healthcare Daily, we hear about the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism's newly released resources to help providers screen and treat patients for alcohol use disorder as addiction and alcohol-related deaths have spiked during the pandemic. It's Tuesday, June 7th, and I'm Alex Olkin with GIST Healthcare Daily, where you get the headlines and health business and policy news in about 10 minutes. If you like the podcast, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Alcohol-related deaths jumped in the first year of the pandemic. According to a study from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, or NIAAA, which is a division of the National Institutes of Health, more than 99,000 people died from alcohol-related causes like liver disease and emergency department visits for withdrawal in 2020. That's a 25% increase from the year prior and compares with just single-digit yearly increases over the last two decades. Surveys have found that people have been drinking more during the pandemic, and that concerns Dr. Laura Quacco. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and health scientist administrator at the NIAAA. We know that drinking levels have increased for many people during the pandemic. Um, We're two years into the pandemic at this point, um, and we know that unfortunately many of those increases in alcohol consumption are being sustained. This is really an urgent time. Um, We know that people may be starting to experience health-related consequences um, as a function of increased alcohol alcohol consumption, um, and that deaths from alcohol, related to alcohol, um, were very high in the past year. Dr. Quacco co-developed a guide to educate providers on AUD, its clinical impacts, how to screen patients, treatment options, and how to implement all of this into daily practice. This comprehensive bundle of resources is called the Core Resource on Alcohol. Alcohol use disorder is the clinical term for what's often referred to as alcoholism. To diagnose AUD, a patient needs to have a problematic pattern of alcohol use leading to clinically significant impairment or distress. And like other mental health disorders, it's a spectrum. In the more severe cases, it can cause changes to the brain. And despite widely available medication and behavioral treatments, less than a tenth of those who have AUD get treatment. I spoke with Dr. Quacco and Dr. Catherine Bradley, an internist and senior investigator at Kaiser Permanente Washington Health Research Institute. She's one of more than 70 researchers, physicians, and experts whose work contributed to this guide. Here's some of our conversation. Dr. Quacco, let's first start with why the NIAAA released this bundle of resources for providers. We see the core resource as a way to encourage healthcare professionals to address some of those really challenging issues head on 
questions around stigma, questions around very fundamental issues of how much alcohol is too much, what constitutes a standard drink size, and then to provide that follow-up information that's necessary to get people the care that they need. Focusing in on the screening part of this resource, I'm wondering how the tool or guidance is any different than what's already used. Because at least in my experience, many of my healthcare providers have asked me how much alcohol I drink. One of the things that we know about screening for alcohol use disorder is that screening itself is actually fairly prevalent. However, providers may not use instruments that are recommended by the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. Uh, we also know that follow-up to screening is less common, and that's for various reasons. So there could be insufficient training around substance use and addiction for healthcare professionals, uh, which the core resource was created in part to address. Um, there may also be uncertainty among healthcare professionals about what constitutes unhealthy alcohol use, um, and also a belief that patients may not honestly disclose alcohol consumption levels. Um, and then, of course, just lack of time. We know that healthcare professionals are, are busy people, uh, especially in primary care, and, and they may not uh, perceive or may not have the time for screening. So why aren't providers following up about concerning answers to these screening questions? You know, I think that goes back to the lack of training and lack of education. There's this perception that treatment for alcohol use disorder is very limited, that it may be only detoxification or inpatient rehab, rehabilitation. Um, and in fact, there's a wide variety of evidence-based effective treatment options for alcohol use disorder. This includes FDA-approved medications, and it includes multiple behavioral health approaches. So there's a wide variety of options out there that may be tailored to the individual patient, but a lot of providers may not be aware of this. It's one thing to develop these resources, it's another to implement them into routine care. Kaiser Permanente in Washington State added universal alcohol screening as part of primary care almost seven years ago. If patients reported high-risk drinking, then providers followed up with an 11-question symptom checklist. This is now done across all of the primary care clinics in the state. Dr. Catherine Bradley helped lead the effort. Dr. Bradley, how were you able to get providers to actually include the screening as part of their day-to-day -day care? really three key elements to our success, I think. Um, the first is that we used implementation strategies that have been proven successful in primary care for generally, so for diabetes or for hypertension. And these strategies are practice facilitation, electronic health record prompts, and performance feedback for quality improvement. Second, we implemented alcohol-related care as part of whole person care along with screening and assessment for depression, suicidality, and other drug use so that it was patient-centered and it was in, integrated seamlessly into the primary care workflow. Um, the system added only zero to 30 seconds to rooming a patient and providers soon found that it saved them time by having all the assessments, including the alcohol symptom checklist routinely completed with results in the electronic health record before they saw the patient. And third, and finally, we address stigma explicitly, which is really the elephant in the room. Um, we addressed it in our educational tools for patients and providers. And honestly, the patient education materials educated the providers often. And we use stories throughout implementation to actually um, kind of overcome stigma further. So the stories that you mentioned, can you give me an example of how you did that? This was a really early story, and it, it was a story we were able to use throughout that clinic and other clinics. So, so this seasoned doctor, one of the seasoned older doctors in the, in the practice at a meeting with us, 
admitted to that he was not keen on this program. He was not a fan of screening. Um, and so he was seeing, his nurse was seeing a patient for a wound, trying to save his leg. One leg had been amputated, trying to save the other leg, seeing him weekly for wound care. And the nurse comes and says, oh, do I have to screen this patient? And he goes, oh, I guess you have to. So she screened the patient and then he had high risk drinking. She comes back and she says, do I have to do that next thing? And, and he says, I guess you have to. So they do the symptom checklist. Um, and this is him telling the story. And they learn that the patient not not only drank heavily, but actually had a number of symptoms of alcohol use disorder. So he goes to the talks to this patient who he's known for years and says, tell me about this. And the patient said, well, I didn't know who to talk to. I really want help, but I didn't have any idea who to talk to. And so this story, you know, and so he got handed off to the social worker who'd been trained for warm handoffs. And, and that story went viral across that clinic and transformed the attitude and, and helped honestly overcome the stigma and help the care seem like part of medical care. Um, so that those stories, we ended up actually using them um, very purposefully um, across all 25 clinics. I just wanted to chime in briefly on the issue of stigma, uh, because I think Dr. Bradley is absolutely right. It's the elephant in the room. The core resource has an entire topic on stigma. And in fact, we think it's so important that we put it in the foundational knowledge part of the core. When we were developing it, we said, we have got to address stigma. We've got to address it head on. It's got to be one of those foundational parts of knowledge that we are trying to help healthcare professionals know. Do you think there's a generational difference between older and younger providers when it comes to stigma associated with AUD? I think there's definitely a generational difference. Part of it, um, you know, so in the late 80s, screening was for alcoholism and it was very focused on that severe end of the spectrum. Um, and then the evidence around preventive interventions for unhealthy alcohol use came out of um, first WHO in Britain, and then Fleming did a, a study in the US. And so the, oh, there is a generation that's still kind of stuck back in the, I'm just screening for once people have problems. Um, and, and then no question about it. Honestly, I think the opioid epidemic, there's, there's increasing recognition and medications coming along that um, alcohol use disorder is a a medical condition, it's a brain disorder, it's a, there's a spectrum. So, so I think there's, um, there is a difference and it's a transition from that, that um, very stigmatized issue. Stigma is clearly one barrier, but if screening and treatment aren't incentivized or prioritized, providers may be less likely to do it, right? When we started implementing, which was in 2015, um, and we did some pilot work and, and they said, oh, we don't, we don't do screen for alcohol. So I said, well, tell me about that. And they said, oh, um, nobody, nobody cares about that. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, nobody asks about it. And so there were no quality measures. What she was saying is we're driven, practice is driven by quality measures. And at that time there was no, now there is measure for screening. Um, but, but so I think it, it wasn't, it, 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 it's bigger than just the individual provider. It's actually the whole health system, not prioritizing it as a medical issue. And that has moved also. What about the claim that patients just won't be honest with providers about their drinking habits? Did you find that during your implementation study at Kaiser? When we started, there was some cynicism and we didn't even know, would patients be willing to tell us their symptoms when this is going in their medical record? And that whole thing about, oh, patients will lie and, and all the disbelief about that. And we were amazed so that of the, the people who get, have an audit C of seven and above who get the symptom checklist, 40% will meet criteria for an alcohol use disorder and, and tell us 
enough symptoms to do that. So patients want to have these conversations and we've developed a, a decision aid that's also accessible through the core curriculum to help patients then think about what options are right for them, but they do want, want help. They just, it's so it's stigmatized for everybody. And, and so it's, it's really starting those comfortable conversations that transforms the medical setting, I think. What are lessons learned from the implementation at Kaiser that other systems and practices could take away if they try and implement these screening or follow-up tools? So there's this combination of giving the providers what they need and then giving it, making it patient-centered and then help and then having systems of care. And so, so the tool, the symptom checklist was actually designed as an engagement tool initially um, where you give it to a patient and they would check things that were bothering them. And then you could say, um, you indicated you tried to cut down and been unable. Can you tell me about that? So it was really meant as a conversation when we developed it. With funding from NIAAA, we've now been able to validate it as a diagnostic tool for alcohol use disorders, which makes it um, have legs even more. That's kind of the foundation. But then providers need systems. So we created prompts in the electronic health record for the medical assistant. They administer it. They put it in the record before the patient you know, sees the provider. If the provider documents alcohol use disorder, they get a prompt also to follow up and initiate treatment. So, so the notion of reminders, I think, is really key. And then finally, we had performance feedback to leaders. And so that there, this was part of seen as part of normal priority for, for quality care. And, and those three things, again, were, were really critical to sustained implementation. Dr. Quacko, I want to come back to you for the last question. So what is the NIAAA doing to incentivize providers to educate themselves with the agency's newly released materials so they can implement these tools and hopefully help patients? Uh, the core resource offers free continuing medical education and continuing education to healthcare professionals in multiple disciplines. Uh, and so we're hoping that that's another way that healthcare professionals can take advantage of this resource and then bring it to bear in their interactions with patients. That was Dr. Laura Quacco, a licensed clinical psychologist and health scientist administrator at the NIAAA and co-developer of the core resource on alcohol. And Dr. Catherine Bradley, an internist and senior investigator at Kaiser Permanente Washington's Health Research Institute. Thanks for listening to GIST Healthcare Daily. I'm Alex Olkin. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news on gisthealthcare.com. Gist Healthcare Daily is an independent production of Gist Healthcare. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.